Hi, this is Ben Bova. I've written a lot of science fiction, and I think that I've devoted my life to trying to understand the opportunities and the dangers of the future. And if you listen to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, you'll begin to understand a lot of that, too. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye by Saturday night. Good morning, Generic Award Show fans, and welcome to TalkCast 246, another attempt to fill your mind with what passes for nonsensical science fiction. Deep in Area 51, on the sub-level 14, Sarah Lee, Zero-G, Bake Off, and Cryogenic Stasis Recovery, I am the man with the icing fluid in my arteries, the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight are the usual suspects. In the Revere Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen, Contessa of Sparkly Stuff, Vice Princess of Rhetoric, it's our girl genius, Kriana. I'm his carer. If you insist. From did you not see of- Doctor Who this week? Yes, of course I did. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that a little bit at some point. In the Revere Time Vortex, oh no. We're from the Said that part of- already. Yeah, I did that. Okay. Uh, flip the card. From the stacks of her personal silent comm space, in the dank dungeons, only indoor zen and vegetable garden, doubling as a robot reading room. It's the Zombrarian. I don't even know where I am anymore. We're so recording confused. this on a weird night tonight, and yeah. I don't I, know when I am. I don't know where I am. Okay. Um, somebody give her a sedative, please. Joining us tonight is... Uh, before we get into who's, who's actually joining us tonight, the theme of our show tonight is actually people who walked up to our booth at Boston Comic Con this year, and we wanted to bring on the show. And I'd like to introduce Sarah Weintraub, uh, who introduced us to her wonderful blog, Galaxy Girls and Lady Nights. Sarah, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to uh, be here. It, well. You may not think that in a while, but that's okay. <laughs> She's already regretting it. <laughs> I, I had that feeling, kind of, yeah. But hopefully she's drinking something and that may help. Our guest uh, tonight... Tea? <laughs> Does tea count? It's a good choice. It's yeah. a, it's a, well, it's an interesting choice for a first night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do what I can. Our guest tonight, writer, director of the movie Found in Time, Arthur Vincy. Arthur, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. God, he's got a deep voice. <laughs> it's going to win. Whoa. It's, I, can you just say, this is CNN? No, never mind. Anyway. All right, we're going to be talking about Arthur's uh, movie, which uh, was part of the uh, movies at Boston Comic Con, Found in Time. A very, very interesting film. And we're going to talk about uh, a dystopian future that's not dystopian and how we made it work. It's 
very clever film and one that I enjoyed an awful lot. Also joining us tonight, Chris, leave me alone. I'm trying to plan a convention cruise. Final update before GraniteCon 2014. Uh, because uh, we've been bothering him every week for the past month or so. Chris, welcome. Hey guys, how you doing? We're doing okay. We're doing okay. How are you doing with about a week to go? Uh, pretty good. It's kind of scary because it's like, I think everything's falling into place. So, you know, I think we'll be scrambling for some last minute details, but knock on wood, I think we're ready to go. Okay. Did you remember that we need a table? You're good. You're good. <laughs> cool. So, what can you tell us now? What what little tidbit, final tidbit, can you throw out to the internet? Say tidbit one people? more time. Tidbit. Thank you. You're welcome. You know what's cool? Uh, I think since the last time we talked, um, one of our Game of Thrones guests, Miltos um, Giamrello. Um, who played Syria Pharrell in Game of Thrones was cast in Star Wars Seven. Yes, so he's uh, he's a legit swordsman. So you know he's either going to be a Jedi Knight or maybe a Sith. We don't know. Um, so that's pretty awesome. And he's actually going to be teaching some sword fighting classes at the show. So are, are there still if you want to learn how to fight? Yes, Saturday's almost sold out. Sunday there's still some slots available. Uh, so you can come and then learn from the first sort of Bravos how to fight. So it's cool. pretty awesome. That's going to be... And, and the classes are kind of small, too, right? Yep, there's only like 40 people on them. So nice. uh, you get you get, you get the nice instruction time. You know, uh, we'll open up to people that kind of want to watch to see how it's done. But this would be pretty cool. What, what else yeah. can you tell us to entice people to come? Um, well, this year we uh, we sold out once again all of our uh, artists and dealer space. We have more artists, more dealers than we had in any of, of the year previously. Um, we've got, there's like so much going on. Um, there's going to be panels and workshops each day. There's a video game room, uh, board games going on. We've got a big room this year that's going to be uh, Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! and Hero Clicks and Pokemon and everything you can, you know, cram into that room uh, with Good board Lord. games and everything, so... That's going to be going late into the evening. Uh, the after party is going to be pretty awesome because uh, one of the other Game of Thrones guests, uh, Finn Jones, is a DJ, so he's going to be DJing the after party. It's going to have a whole Game of Thrones theme to it. I'm going to have to um, say, I thought for yeah. a minute there that you said Borg games, and I was like, well, resistance mm -hmm. is futile. Boring games. <laughs> Borg games, you know. They yeah, they're right. all have nine, mm -hmm. nine sides, and, yep. you know. Yeah, it's all, it's all coming together nicely. It's been pretty awesome. So, and we've got a lot of uh, a lot of things going on leading up to the event itself. So, you know, I remember when this was a a small, small little thing in, in Holiday Inn in Concord. You know, <laughs> ne <laughs> next time we talk to JoJo, we're gonna have to get her to compose a little ditty for a back in my day. <laughs> just, just a little heart music. Just, just so that the when when Dom goes, you know, I remember when. Yes, I remember when 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 oh, we did right. this on radio. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I mean, we get. Here we go. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, really, if you think about how much this has grown in the past five years, it's freaking amazing. It really is. Yeah. 
yeah, it's pretty nuts. But we're we're pretty excited. I think we're I think we're ready to go. And you know, like uh, I think we talked last time, we're already kind of plotting away for next year and beyond. So. Um, so next year we're just taking up. over the the Coliseum or something, and we're doing. Yeah, it we're, I think we're going to take over downtown Manchester and just you know. Turn it into well, yeah. well, there yeah. is precedent. Ask Waltham. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. when they do the okay. uh, Watch Festival every year. Yeah. Right. It's a Watch City Festival. Watch City it's just Festival. not a Watch Festival. It's well, it a completely, watch it's a completely different thing. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Watch Somewhat. Festival is Chap- Captain James Hook's least favorite holiday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I hear he quite enjoys the Watch City Festival, in which he does mm. not look odd walking down the street. Die. Well, a little bit odd because he's a little out of time period. But... A little, but only a little. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Slightly. So Distraction? Me? Never. Uh, nicely done. One more time for the people in the cheap seats who haven't decided whether or not they're going, where it is, when it is, and what they should do. Okay, so it's uh, Saturday, September uh, 13th and 14th at the Radisson in downtown Manchester. Uh, if anybody's interested in picking up tickets in advance, uh, that's at granitecon.com. It's got all like, the panel schedules and all that stuff up on there. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, so we're kind of updating that as you know, new little tidbits come out. So, um, yeah, that's where to find us. And if you can buy your tickets in advance, it'll get you in easier. So, it's Chris Leaf me alone. I'm trying to plan a convention. Prue, the final update for GraniteCon. We will see you there next weekend, Chris. Good luck right. with everything, and we'll see you then. All right, we'll see you guys next week. All right, take care. Right. I'd like to point yeah. out for, for posterity that at the moment there are no cheap seats on the internet yet. Yet. But if yet. you're concerned about that sort of thing, you should definitely tell the FCC and maybe Google John Oliver's bit on net neutrality. <laughs> Just saying. No, so Just saying. Just saying. Which brings Thanks, us Chris. to... Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Right, yeah. Take care. It's time... For the news. Nicely done. You thought I wasn't going to be ready. I, I only tried to cue you three times. <laughs> <laughs> I had to so, get my PSA in. Yeah, I know. For net neutrality, well played. Thank you. Um, some stuff went on this week. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it ridiculous. Well, it's the internet. Gonna- so. Yeah, it's the internet. So if there's not, you know, grumpy cats, who the hell knows? Oh uh, my god, I just realized grumpy cat looks exactly like you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> oh my god, wait a minute. This is true. No? No one else thinks this? No. Oh. You know, I saw a grumpy cat in real life. She was uh, she was a guest at BookCon, which was kind of the, the public day for um, the of publisher convention in New York and I kind of saw her walk well I saw someone carrying her walking by and she has a little tiny itty bitty thing I didn't know she was so small yeah she's teensy her, yeah. Grump- her grumpiness is so large it is I thought she was bigger hmm. but she's not really grumpy there's a whole video in which I she know. introduces herself to the world it's my favorite thing <laughs> I watch it when I'm sad good insight into my life for all of you <laughs> Pretty much so what happened this week, Dom? 
I mistakenly said the evil words grumpy cat. And that was They're not I evil said. words. Grumpy cat is awesome. Her real name is Tartar Sauce. <laughs> and we know all puppets like tartar sauce. Yep. Yeah, and I'm a puppet. What? I know. So this week, uh, I stumbled across uh, uh, an Indiegogo funding project called Hullabaloo, which is a bunch of Disney veteran animators uh, who want to go back and do 2D animation again, uh, because it's getting to the point where it's a lost art. Like No, 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 you had to put air quotes around that lost art, because I think they're full of crap. Well, it's difficult to do it on the audio interwebs. Lost art. I'm, I'm air-quoting it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, no problem. Uh, so, you know, 3D animation, you know, it's in like How to Train Your Dragon, Frozen, those kinds of things. Uh, it's really beautiful when it's done right or, or when it's done in, in films like uh, Avatar. Uh, 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 <laughs> did you ever actually see Avatar? Yeah, I did. And you thought that was done well? The animation in it was done Yeah, well. you thought that was done... Okay. Yeah, just, I kind of did. Okay. But a bunch of Disney animators are trying to put a film together called Hullabaloo, which is a steampunk animated film. And on Indiegogo, in about 12 days, they've doubled the amount of money that they need to make the film. So they're at 198% right now. It's an interesting project with some interesting issues as well. Uh... And as usual, we had that conversation before we went on the air. So yeah, I don't really care enough to have it again. Okay, I don't blame you. Yeah, it's oh. a, it's a steampunk animated film. Wow, it looks adorable. It looks saccharine, sweet disgustingness. I which which is totally what you love, isn't it? <laughs> Zombre, I almost said Zombrian. Kriana is the most saccharine sweet of yes, all of us. Clearly. Absolutely. Puppies and kittens and fluffy rainbows. Oh my god, don't even. I hate puppies so much. <laughs> so we're, get, we're gonna uh, leave a link in the show notes for the uh, article about the Disney animators and as a separate link to the Indiegogo page. Uh, and if you feel it's something you want to deal with and, and you want to support do so i've done i think it's i think it's a lovely project and i really want to see it happen hey if Uh, you didn't need intestines you (laughs) would feel that way too absolutely and like i said before we don't know that cartoon characters need intestines exactly she could be photosynthesizing through her skin that is her slightly greenish looking corset we don't know yeah we we don't know these things These are the questions. They burn. No, that was not a question. It wasn't a question. It was a burning question. (laughs) Or either that or that's the sensation when you have no intestines. (laughs) It's a burning sensation, absolutely. (laughs) Speaking speaking of burning sensations, in every Marvel film that's ever happened, Stan Lee for no apparent reason other than the fact that he is Stan To be Lee. Creepy Uncle Stan? Creepy Uncle it's Stan! It's a primary tradition. Has had a cameo in the film. 
And James Gunn, when he was doing Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, said, yes, Stan Lee is having one. And here's what it is. And Disney said, no, you're not. And this is the first time a, a company has ever said... What, were they in a brothel or something? No, well... <laughs> I mean, at least that would have been interesting. Stan Lee's original cameo in the film was supposed to have Stan Lee in one of the collector's exhibits that Groot would look at as he walked past. And in the exhibit, Stan Lee was leaning against a tree and would flick the large tree creature. And James Gunn thought it was hilarious. Stan Lee loved it, and Disney said no. So wait, Stan, Stan Lee's like the exhibit? Right. Okay, that's funny. I thought it would have been hilarious. Yeah, I Dis- think that's really great. I don't know why they thought that was um, not okay. Corporate bullshit? On yeah, the- well. Well, it's, it's Disney. It's, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much the explanation for everything we do. And the article uh, that we're going to link to on this has the picture of what uh, uh, James Gunn wanted it to look like. And it's really kind of cool. <laughs> Jim in this little glass box. It's hilarious. I think it's kind of where Stan is going to... You, know, you know what it reminded me of is the uh, uh, Hall of Presidents in Futurama with all the different presidents' heads. <laughs> or you know the Hall of Presidents in Disney World, one at Disney World. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, with the animatronic actual presidents. Hello, I'm Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, that one. That <laughs> sounds like your mother, not Abraham. <laughs> well, the one in the Hall of Presidents doesn't sound like Abraham Lincoln either. <laughs> but it also doesn't sound like your mother. So, John, when you saw Abraham Lincoln speaking when you were a child, you really remember that well, huh? I actually do. I signed Splinter from him from when he was splitting rails. Thank you. So, so Zombrarian, where would you like to go from this point? I would like to go to the freak show. Because I'm excited. Yeah, are you excited for all the creepy clown advertisements that have been going around? I didn't watch the creepy clown advertisements because I'm a wimp. Um, But they have released all eight trailers. So now not only is Matt Bomer, the world's most beautiful human being, going to be on American Horror Story Freak Show, now we have teasers. And it looks like there's definitely going to be at least one three-legged woman and in other news that's right around halloween pumpkin spice lattes are back it's very important genre it's extremely important are you (laughs) kidding me sci-fi fantasy and horror news you might need to know it's halloween american horror story is on again pumpkin spice lattes are back next you just gotta wait for the pop-up halloween store and we are good to go we are good to go you mean Spirit Halloween? Spirit Halloween is, like, popping up like herpes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a bad outbreak of herpes. It's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Dome, you have nothing to contribute? To that? Absolutely not. <laughs> Did you know that 80% of sexually active adults have herpes? Now you know. That is a real statistic. That's terrifying. Isn't it? 
So you remember about four months ago when we were talking about all of the films that uh, Marvel has planned for the next 12 years and they have the, a specific order and specific concepts and then the following week DC came out and said, we have nine films planned for the next three years. You were like, I can't yeah, tell you what any of them are. Because it's unnamed project, unnamed project. Because they don't project. actually exist because DC sucks. Well, DC... Uh, <laughs> the, the brand that brought you Electra. That's Continue. The one, uh, has finally come out and unwittingly given you the names of the next four films by their own stupidity. Electra 2. No, no, no. Uh, because they decided they weren't going to say anything. And then they went and registered four URLs. <laughs> Justice, JusticeLeagueFilm.com ShazamMovie.com WonderWomanTheMovie.com and AquamanMovie.com oh, I wonder what Christ. they're going to do. I'm going to be really mad, though, if the Wonder Woman movie comes out before we get a, a Black Widow movie. Oh, or before it gets happen. announced. Yeah. That should absolutely not happen. Because, like, I want a Wonder Woman movie really bad, but I need it to... I need there really to be a Black Widow movie. Was a Black like, Widow yesterday. movie on the list? No. Of course, not yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, I mean, not that it shouldn't happen. It absolutely should, but it's not going to. Prove me wrong, Marvel! <laughs> yeah, don't we all wish? I do. But but the biggest problem with no the no sweetie Black he's... Widow is Marvel. Oh, I thought we were still talking about Wonder Woman. No, we're, did you like stroke out there for a second? <laughs> I've been doing that lately. Okay, I'm a little worried. The problem with the DC Wonder Woman movie is that they've tried it a number of times. They haven't even come close to doing anything worth watching, and that includes the last attempt. At a television series, which was just horrific, and all in general, fun to I, watch I for general, all the wrong reasons. I think in general, DC tries to take itself too seriously, and that's kind of why they keep crashing and burning. Like Arrow, I want to love Arrow, but God, Oliver Queen is so boring. He's so yeah, but, boring, but he's so ripped. It would be yeah, better if like, he were an actual queen. Then at least he'd be relatable, <laughs> right? That's great. Hello. <laughs> Green Arrow. Green Arrow. <laughs> like I'm watching I mean, something completely different in that context. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Green Arrow, Captain Hammer. We're beginning to see a trend. <clears throat> I mean, well, eighty percent of adults, right? Eighty no, percent well, <laughs> of sexually active. <laughs> right. You've really got to just leave that one alone. So, what does that Venn diagram look like? People are all connected at the Flash, evidently. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just keep think they, thinking they miss, they're missing the boat when it comes to casting. I mean, Gina Carino actually knows how to fight and is, was a pretty decent actress in Haywire. So I don't, yeah. why, why didn't they cast her? And then, you know, uh, the... Um, and Gina Torres, who who plays yes. Wonder Woman in the in the animated series, I mean, she's six foot two. Oh I my think, god! Six foot one. I would literally gone. die of the awesome. That she would looks be the great. Most amazing thing 
Um, she can uh, act. She yeah. can act. It's That's true enough. The problem. If you look so, at the last Superman movie, there was a whole plethora of can they act? And the answer was no. <laughs> Which is why so many people saw the last Superman movie. Oh my gosh, you guys. I'm glad I didn't see it. Exactly. If we put a petition on whitehouse.com, if we get 100,000. <laughs> I, I believe whitehouse.com is not the URL you're looking for. If you go there, you might be surprised. Whitehouse.gov. You go to whitehouse.gov. Never go to whitehouse.com. Um, you go to whitehouse.gov. You can petition. If you get a hundred thousand signatures, the White House has to respond. But they don't often. So is the hundred thousand signatures to hire Wonder Woman? Let Let's give a toast right now to government transparency. Thank you, Obama, for. We're gonna we're, no we're saying gonna, that you were going to be more transparent. Thumbs up. We're gonna get them to <clears throat> comment on Gina Torres being Wonder Woman. Generally, so, when petitions get up that high that they can't do anything about, they comment and they're like, "Sorry, we actually can't do anything about this." They can say it's a wonderful idea because it I, is. You it know, is. you know what? I I would rather the president do something about the myriad of issues. In our oh, country, you know, it's some intern named Chuck. It is, it is. But you know, what? I would rather not even have the illusion of that going on. Yeah, I don't I care. I don't care what the president thinks about Wonder Woman. Honestly, don't care. But I, I just want to keep that intern named Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Bob. Well, you know, that's a good point. He's I getting mean... important work experience, and probably. <laughs> yeah, he's hard not hard getting paid. Out. That's for sure. No, he's not getting paid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> he may be getting college credit. He may oh, be getting doubtful. college credit. He's gaining valuable work experience. If if he's getting college credit, he's actually paying them. Mm. There you go. Yeah. He's already paying them. He pays taxes. That's true. Yeah. We've, we've he, really gotten deep into Chuck's life now. <laughs> what, what did he have for lunch yesterday? I don't know. Probably like a salad or something. Yeah. He's trying to stay healthy. He's got to keep in shape. Closet. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to. If you can't fit in the closet, you got a problem. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why White House staffers are always skinny, because they have so, to fit in very small spaces. So, Kriana. <laughs> yeah. You have the White House is run here. like Snowpiercer? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> okay. you, you made a point to put down in the dock this week. That HBO is making Shutter Island the series. Yeah, why are you interested in that? We oh, I'm not. I'm interested in making fun of it. Oh, I, I, first of all, I, I get to make fun of Martin Scorsese, which is easy. I get to make fun of HBO, which is funny. And I get to make fun of Leonardo DiCaprio's acting, which is oh, a is perennial... DiCaprio back in it? I, I don't think so, but I, I feel like it's fair game to bring up the movie, which was horrible. The movie was... Well, that, that's my point. That's and there were no unanswered questions at all. Because, like, at the end of the movie, they sort of left it a little ambiguous, and then at the very end of the movie, they, like, hit you over the head with the end. So you're like, okay, well, then... Well... It's like a Stephen Moffat storyline. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But with better female it. characters, because there weren't any that I can remember. No, there Unfor- were a couple. Were there? with Moffat, it's like, if you weren't paying attention, here's what you were supposed to do. Got well, it? Kriana, think <laughs> about it this way. The person who played, the actress who played 
Nurse number three in Shutter Island still had more to more work character development. Character yeah, more character story. development. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's true. That's true. Nurse number three. She was she was actually memorable. She was awesome. Yeah, she was. That, uh, nurse number two was interesting visually, but nurse number three, awesome actor. She stole the show. <laughs> <laughs> No idea what I'm saying. Anymore. I was so excited when we went to see Shutter Island because someone who before this I had trusted was like, "Oh my gosh, I went to see it and there was this twist and I never saw it coming." And and we kept waiting for the twist and yeah, then waiting for the twist and then the credits rolled and we were still waiting. She was like, "It's not the twist you expect." And we saw the first five minutes. Spoiler like, alert! It was exactly the twist we expected. Yeah, it's like, well, here's the twist I expect, and it can't be that, so I'm waiting for something else, and it's pointing more and more towards the twist I expect. And you're like, re- ready for your mind to be blown. Be ready. Be re- No. No. Credits rolled. You nope. were done. No. Nope. I mean, by the way, I think nurse number three is a great cosplay idea. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, I, I think I think it's nurse number three from Shutter Island. Obviously, you know, I, I think it's really our problem. I think on this show in particular, we surround ourselves in a bubble of people with an IQ much higher than the general population, and that's where it really shows. The person who gave me this recommendation was a film major in college. At yeah. The well, what does that tell you? That's that's not a. Was it was it Emerson? Because if so, that <laughs> being as someone who went to Emerson. Oh good lord! I mean, I love English majors, but <laughs> I, I was a film major, and yes, I can back up that that that's not necessarily a recommendation. But... Okay. <laughs> neither, ne- neither is English majors. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good lord. Well, see, see, seeing as, as, you know, marrying an English major, so, you know, <laughs> reflects on me too, I guess. Evidently it does, yes, doesn't it? I know where you sleep. I love you, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you sleep, and I know you're a heavy sleeper. Crap. <laughs> you like your hair, right? Oh, oh. If you hear a little well, never mind. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> <have it. laughs> that was an entirely different thing, Gnome. We're, we're moving right out of this one. I don't Weird think we away from that When we were at Boston Comic Con, uh, oh, God. Uh, the day that they were having the movie festival, uh, this gentleman came by our, our table and said, if you're coming, I would really like you to come see my film. And... For whatever reason, I think it may have been the fact that we were packed in like tuna uh, at that point. Uh, I didn't get to the festival. And you came back afterwards and dropped a DVD of your film and said, let me know what you think. No, that was when the guy from Run DMC was like, I can only do the interview right now because I'm going to get on the plane. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, cool. Yeah, Yeah. so we had a really, really interesting with... uh, Run DMC about their new uh, comic line. Well, we, I, I think I think Run DMC is the group that he was in, but his name is actually Darren, Daryl, Daryl, one of those. Because I was like, ooh, like 
Walking Dead. <laughs> and everyone I, looked at me and went, shut up, Zomperian. I don't know. So the following day I sat down and I started going through the film called Found in Time. And I honestly stopped and started it three or four times because I was having trouble figuring out what it was for a while. And then all of a sudden, the third time I started at that same spot, I went, son of a bitch. Um, it's a very interesting film. The film is called Found in Time. The writer and the director is Arthur Vincy. Now, but before we get started too much here, I'd just like to say how rare it is for us to have filmmakers on our show, because I'm not going to name names, but we do get quite a few DVDs over the course of the year. We do. And most of the time, that is not the reaction that we have to them. Well, Thank most you. of the time, there's a lot of blood splattering or, or incredibly bad effects. Or well, yeah, and most of the time, you know, we have a bad movie party and move along. <laughs> we, we, we've had many bad movie parties over the years. This was not one of them, however. No, Let this is a good movie party. Oh, thank it's, you. It's, it's difficult to explain what it is. Dome it's is going to pontificate for a does, moment. But I'm going to give it a try, and then, Arthur, you can tell me how wrong I am. And set me straight. But don't spoil it for everyone. Creator tell us. Or we could just let you tell us what it is. Um, okay. I mean, actually, I was kind of looking forward to... Yeah, I, I kind of want to hear what you about. think it is first. <laughs> what I think it is, is it's an alternate pre present. And in this alternate present, there is a, a, a group that are psychics who can tell the past, tell the future, and live on the edge of time. So they're, they're constantly flowing back from the past to the present to the future. Uh, and there's this one character in there whose name is Chris, who's the main character of the movie, who uh, is incredibly troubled by his own past and his own future. And it's basically the story of I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm honestly not sure, but I really like the way it tells the story. He sees a future that he's very disturbed by and does what, what he can to change his own future. Is that, that even close? Oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, um, and, and uh, you know, I... Um, no, I, I think you did a great job, and and uh, you're also a very uh, patient uh, patient viewer. Um, a couple of people have come up to me and said, you know, I, I just couldn't take it after 10 minutes and I left. And other people have come up to me and said, wow, that was great. Thank you so much. And it sort of, it seems to be, it seems to have had a very, um, uh, uh, seems to have uh, engendered a very uh, divisive reaction. Um, but it's, I can it, understand that. Yeah, and you know, but that's a good thing. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. No, it's not a bad thing at all. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. If I can just jump in for one second, if you're we're we're living in in, in a culture that needs immediate gratification, this movie does not provide you with any sense of immediate gratification whatsoever. It's it literally tells you if you want to know what's going on, you're walking my pace. 
And in doing so, it's almost like watching a subtitled movie from time to time. And a lot of people just can't do that in mm. today's culture. And I get that. Yeah, although I have to give it up to... Um, I mean, I initially I wasn't really thinking about what genre I was trying to write or direct this to. And uh, when I first started the festival journey... Um, I was actually thinking, you know, maybe the indie sort of art house crowd would like this. But the folks who seem to have really picked up the the banner are the sci-fi uh, peeps, who are my peeps also. I've been a sci-fi fan since I was a since I was a, a young child watching Star Trek and Space 1999 reruns. Um, Yay! <laughs> far longer ago than I would like to admit, and. Um, uh, it's okay, Dome's here. You're, you can't be that that's old. That's right. Okay. You're not well, the oldest w- person in the game right now. Well, I, I thought they were in black and white, which is because we had a black and white TV growing up. So that tells you a little bit about how old I am. But anyway, um, but they were reruns, so I, I'm not that old. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I do think that the the folks who who watch and read sci-fi and fantasy and, and, and horror and who are used to a little bit more like sort of tricky storytelling are okay with, with having um, a little complexity thrown their way. And that's, that's great. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think even happen. it's used to, I, I think the very, the very best uh, section of our fan base craves that sort of thing. Oh yeah. yeah. I, Done yeah. well. And it's so rare, but the grandmasters could do it. Oh, and you God, wouldn't yeah. even know it was happening. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because it, it has the look of a straightforward progression. It has the look of a, a, a standard storytelling model to it. And the diversions that you take in shooting, in, in directing, in character development um, are so sudden and and so jarring that it's literally you feel kind of beat up by the movie from time to time <laughs> and again it's a good thing because you're being forced not to not to make it fit your comfort zone but you're being forced to ride the ride you're on well i i think by that you mean it's not it hasn't taken the lowest common denominator of a it comfort zone. It absolutely hasn't, yeah. Which is what most of what's out there. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for this? Where, where did it come from? Uh, well, Where did this um, whole thing start anyway? Really? <laughs> well, it, it started a few years ago. I had, been, I had just finished writing another sci-fi film, which was a much more kind of straightforward piece, um, almost like a sci-fi, pre- uh, sort of a um, present-day film uh, about a roboticist trying to teach a robot how to see the way we do, which is is actually a very tricky problem. Um, and uh, uh, had somebody interested in financing it, and then it fell through. And so I was, you know, frustrated and pissed off and uh, and uh, and and desperate to do something because it's been a while since I've made my... Uh, my last few projects and uh, you know I just kind of started thinking well all right what can I make that's a you know inexpensive and B since it's going to be inexpensive and and maybe not even have much of a a life because of that like let me let me be a little more daring 
than I had in the past. And so I started thinking, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of it came out of obsessions that I've had with time and what the nature of it is and how our uh, emotions cloud our sense of time. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's on the one hand, we sort of think that we, we, we believe that there's an objective sort of timeline that we're on, you know, and the present is, is right here, you know, maybe a, a second on either side. And then the future is in front of us and the past is behind us. Uh, and yet emotionally, we feel we're constantly sort of worrying about the future and thinking about the past. And so we're, we, we don't experience life in any kind of linear way. And so what I was thinking about was, well, what if that was actually the, the truth? You so know, what you're saying person. is that time is more like a bolly wally timey. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's and and yeah, oh, oh, I love that when uh, when that came out, I posted it right to the Fountain Time Facebook page. I was like, "That's great. That's exactly it." Um, uh, yeah. So you know, what if that was actually what if our emotional experience of time was was the real time, at least for some people, and what would happen in that kind of universe? And then I just well, technically, it is the real time because you really can't separate your emotion from your perception of time you just don't notice it because you're used to it exactly but um, watching other people in their <laughs> perception of time then it's noticeable right right so you know and then i started um you know as soon as i started trying to explain things in the script i would start to st i would stop myself and say no 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 let's let's try to be more elliptical and, and a little more mysterious and see you know, if that leads to something more interesting, um, and uh, and I and I think it did. So I I kind of actively resisted doing things like making outlines and doing all the sorts of things you're supposed to do when you write a screenplay that, in some ways, kind of kill all the fun of actually writing, and um, and just wanted to see where the story took me, um, and then we uh, and then we, you know, and then when it came time to start thinking about making it, I did make some adjustments here and there to sort of get clear on what I was trying to say and, and make the characters a little more, you know, jump off the page. But, but what you saw is pretty close to what I wrote. Um, you know, we cut a few scenes, but uh, didn't really change the order of things much. So it was written in a nonlinear way. Um, now, your main character, Chris, is in this present part of a minority of psychics who mm -hmm. live on the periphery of society. Mm. Um, and he's portrayed by this terrific actor whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, McLeod uh, Andrews. Uh, just who, who does a terrific job of portraying what society sees as a broken individual and the government sees as something that needs to be rehabilitated to some degree, or at least controlled. And your, your portrayal of the government as taking anything outside its controllable periphery and trying to squash it is, is uh, uh, an undercurrent that runs through this entire movie. Mm. And tell me how that's different from real life. Yeah. Well, well, there are yeah. no 
there are no psychics except for the oh, one okay. in Long Island. Right, 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 right. <laughs> okay. I'm just glad you we got that straight. Fake one. All right. Glad we. Well, I mean, you know, with her hair like that, uh, you don't know what's going on under there. Secrets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why it's so big? It's true. Absolutely. She's got some sort of like major antenna equipment right there, so the universe can actually talk to her. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you have hair that big? Seriously. Your hair is so big because it's full of secrets. (laughs) Secrets and lies! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there there are a number of storylines that run through this, and uh, I didn't find one that I was uncomfortable with. You, you, you kept everything. It's it's nice the way you kept everything moving. Oh, thanks. Thank uh, you. Uh, I like the characters, uh, and you shot it guerrilla style on the streets of New York City. Uh, yeah, although we did have we did have permits. We were no just no guerrillas, a- Kriana. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of that Zevon song. Ah. <laughs> but we did have a very small crew. Uh, so we kind of blended into the into the background a lot of times. Did you, um, did you have uh, a? I mean, you shot a lot of stuff live on street corners with a lot of people moving through the scenes. Uh, was did that pose any challenges for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, early on, after I'd written a couple of drafts, one of the first people I I talked to about this was uh, the the cinematographer Ben Wolf, and uh, him and I have worked on a bunch of projects together, and um, you know, we wanted that life. You know, a lot of times in in low budget films, you sort of feel like you're watching these characters who are moving through some kind of ghost version of a city, like because there's just no one around, or because you're just going from room to room to room, you feel like you're you're seeing a, a play on film. And and uh, um, I wanted to have a bigger canvas. And since I can't hire you know a ton of extras to replace the people who are already there, we just said you know let's let's see what we can get away with here. You know, if there's somebody who's looking too long at the camera, then maybe we have to do a takeover. But as long as they're just walking past. And even if they look just a little bit, they would be looking in real life anyway, especially when the cops show up and start harassing them. So kind of, we, we just tried to make it work. You know, I mean, a lot of times in, in the low budget world, you have to embrace your, you have to turn your limitations into some kind of um, uh, merit, you know, into, into some kind of, into some kind of, um, and make them work for you aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Lemons, lemonade, um, got it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, although the, the truth is that we, uh, a lot of people in the neighborhood, we, we got the word out through the, per, the, the, there was a community center right next to where we were shooting, this big blue building that you see in the background of some of the shots. Mm-hmm. And they, we, we approached them early on and said, hey, we'd like to shoot this on your corner. Would you be okay with it? Here's a little bit of money if you can let us use your space for equipment. And they were awesome. They said, they told everybody in the neighborhood that we were coming and just to leave us alone and um and uh and and they did i mean we we had yeah we had a few people kind of staring a little too long but other than that people were were pretty terrific um and uh, all the stores nearby gave us deals on food and stuff so nice <laughs> yeah yeah it was where, great i mean where did you shoot a lot of that stuff 
So the stuff on the street corner with the vendors yeah, was yeah. shot it was shot in the Bronx, um, up uh, near the old Yankee Stadium, about two subway stops north of where the old Yankee Stadium used to be. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bronx much, but uh, damn Yankees! Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know I'm talking to Boston. <sighs> But um, one of the reasons we liked that area was because it had that nice, those hilly sections, so you could kind of see right. more than just the street corner, and it looked like a city, but it didn't look like you know a typical New York movie. It it was so generic. It took me a really long time to figure out, because it started to bug me about halfway through. I'm going, what freaking city is this? is this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't want it to, I mean, I wanted it to look like a city and maybe even have people say, oh, yeah, I think that's New York, but not necessarily get distracted by that, you know. Um, so we we did a lot of stuff where even the scenic, the little scenic bits that are between scenes, we kind of shot in odd places, um, you know, bridges you don't usually see in movies um, or, or um, just neighborhoods you don't usually uh, go to and then for the chase scene we shot that in Greenpoint which is this weird sort of neighborhood in Brooklyn that's half residential and half industrial so all that that you know that, those weird dome like buildings there right that's part Where of the that water treatment plant scene? Where's that uh, scene shot? Oh, you mean all the stuff in the field that was yeah, also yeah. Bucks. Um, believe it or not there's a huge park there called uh, Pelham Bay Park and it has a uh, uh, has a nature preserve um, right next to it, and it's it's pretty sort of. There are sections of it that are very like, like you know typical sort of city park, and then there are other sections like where we were that are just really wild. And uh, it was very overgrown. Yeah, it had a really nice yeah. feel to it too. Yeah, and I, and uh, I mean, I wish it had been a little bigger, maybe. But it it when I saw it, I was like, wow! Especially when the light hits the tree line, um, which we only saw a little bit of, unfortunately. It was just beautiful, so I was like, "Yeah, this is our this is our park, and it's within driving distance." <laughs> uh, so we didn't have to put anybody up. Um, who did the music for the movie? Uh, the the music and the sound design were both done by Quentin Chiapetta. Um, he's got a. I've known him for more years than either of us would like to admit. He actually did the mix and sound design for my senior project in film school. Which was like oh, a long time so ago. That's been around, it's, yeah. Yeah, and then a few years ago, when I was looking for a sound designer, I said, you know, let me look him up. Um, actually, it was for another film that I worked on as a production manager. I recommended him to to someone else, and they loved him and uh, said, oh yeah, you know, why don't you why don't you get back in touch with Quentin? And I was like, okay, yeah. And then you know, we talked for a bit, and the thing about a film like this is that uh, sometimes something can be carried by music and other times by sound design and um, it's better if those decisions are made by one person instead of an argument breaking out between the composer who wants his score up and the sound designer who wants his score up, you know, mixed up. So mm-hmm. I figured Quentin can go off and have that discussion inside his head and then tell me what he wants <laughs> and then we can... then we can negotiate that way. Um, but it was great and... and, uh, and Initially, when we started, when I started editing with my sound, my picture edit with the picture editor uh, Dan Lowenthal, um, he was asking me about music, you know, especially after we did the first cut. And I said, you know, I keep thinking about like sort of very Middle Eastern, like uh, 
bluesy kind of music. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the oud. It's like this uh, stringed instrument. It's kind of like a a low-tuned kind of balalaika, I guess you could say. Um, and it has a very kind of uncanny sound to it. And I thought that would kind of fit the piece. And so the editor laid down these uh, tracks, these temp tracks that he had, he had snagged from his stint as a sound editor on an Egyptian TV show. And then Quentin heard that and he said, you know, I think you're on the right track, but let me add something else. Quentin had done a lot of work um, with uh, Javanese um, music, um, uh, Mal Malaysian, Indonesian stuff. So the, like the gamelan music. Um, wow. And so when he started putting that together, uh, you know, that sounded, it's like, okay, that's warmer. That's getting us more into the characters. Um, whereas my initial idea had kind of ended up having the opposite effect. Um, and so he, you know, it was, a, I mean, he just did a great job, you know. What, what made the sound, what made the sound design work for me is that it was, uh, it was never intrusive. Oh, great. It was, it was absolutely enhancing all the way through to the point it, it enhanced without actually being, without you actually going, wow, is that a song? What is that music? You know, it, it just really f enhanced the flow. It enhanced the, the discomfort that you feel in the characters and the comfort you feel in the, in the characters at the same time. It was, it was to me, uh, it was probably one of the most interesting parts of the film. Oh, cool. I will definitely tell Quentin. I just um, almost said, are we recording this? This is like the highest praise I've ever heard. Don't give anything of this sort. <laughs> Actually, yes, we are recording this. That's the oh, whole good. point. That's the whole point. That would suck if I know, I know. It's the <laughs> whole point of this. I mean, it's, it's really nice to see an independent film that's thoughtful. And mm -hmm. I, I think yeah, above anything else, that that's really the best way to describe this. It's a dystopia that's not inherently uh, violent and dehumanizing, even though there's violence and dehumanization in it. That's not what it's about. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, definitely, I think that one of the pleasures of working on the film was was uh, working with the the picture editor Dan and and the and the sound designer Quinton. Um, and it's a, I think a lot of independent films kind of short shrift uh, because of budget, if nothing else, the, the sound design aspect of the film. But I found that it can really, uh, it can really accentuate what's there and sort of sometimes paste over or smooth over things that, that should be there but aren't. Um, I mean, you can't, you can't exactly fix things in post, but you can definitely make something you can amplify things in post and, and Dan and, uh, and, and Quentin definitely did that. And Dan did a terrific job, you know, combing through lots of sometimes very, uh, challenging footage to try and put the, put this together, you know? Um, so yeah, all, all praise to them. I um, think, uh, sound design in general, if it's good, if it's good, you don't notice it at all. If yeah, it's yeah, mediocre, yeah. you go, Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and if it's terrible, you're like, this is the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. And you don't even realize that it's the sound that's terrible. Yeah, most of the time people will come out of a, um, 
test screening or something where the sound isn't completely mixed um and they'll say yeah the lighting was off or you know there's something odd about it but i can't put my finger on it so um it makes having real test screening is very challenging actually because people expect um whether they admit to it or not they kind of expect the smooth you know, yeah even, even if you say hey sound's good. not done yet yeah. they're they're still like wait a minute yeah this looks <laughs> terrible and you're like, no, it just sounds terrible. It looks fine. <laughs> the beauty of a film has nothing to do with the money. It has nothing to do with anything. It has to start with a good story. You've got a good story here. You've you've done a great job. Well, I, I think you're downplaying the skill here. I was just, well, let me finish. Well, finish you've then. Take, you've, you've taken that story... You've translated it to film wonderfully. Uh, if, if you reach an educated audience and places where people appreciate film, people appreciate stories, people appreciate science fiction, uh, this is this is a go-to film for them. And I I cannot tell you enough how much I enjoyed it. I was going to say, Electra was a good film on paper. It's the execution yeah, exactly. is everything. Well, yeah. remember we also we also interviewed the guy who wrote Electra, or at least writer. The fifth six. one, right? Yeah, <laughs> out out of ten, right? That was a that was a horrible experience for all of us, including it was, him. It was sad actually because I think um, you could tell that there's a good movie in that in in Electra fighting to get out. Yep, um, and there was really tremendous well. skill on the part of the people making the movie to try and make something good, but they got compromised at every turn by, by something. I don't know. Maybe it was too many rewrites. Maybe it was a lot of post-shooting meddling. Maybe there's a version out there somewhere, a director's cut, that's like, you know, a really snappy yeah, action we, film. I really hope that there is because yeah. it deserves so much better than what it got. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have good talent, uh, you know, in front of the camera, and, and very good technical talent behind the camera. It's just hard. I mean, those those kinds of films are really difficult because um, uh, almost worse than than films that are just flat out bad. You know, because you can kind of you go into them thinking, oh, this could be really good, and then you're like, what the hell? Like, you know, I don't know. It's like the first half hour, or twenty minutes of Daredevil was great, and then like, you know, it just like goes right off the rails. And you're like, I, I only gave it. First ten, but that's okay. First ten, <laughs> I understand what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean the when it was just him sort of dealing with this sort of lonely existence he had set up for himself. I was really there, you know. I mean, even with the sort of dodgy CGI, I was like, all right, I can I can deal with this because it's you know it's kind of his. We're gonna see where this goes. But then as soon as it becomes kind of a, a almost like a romantic comedy with ninjas you know it just doesn't it stops working you know it's like what what are we what kind of movie are we trying to say actually that would like be more last fun Wolverine movie but that's another story oh that's true yeah <laughs> so arthur what's where is this movie headed now well it's coming out on it's it's coming out on a couple of streaming channels in the next few months uh amazon voodoo um dish uh, hopefully Netflix and iTunes. Uh, it's available now on Vimeo On Demand. Um, and uh, uh, we also just signed with a foreign sales agent who is going to take it to other countries. Um, and it's still touring 
you know, festivals and I'm organizing these sort of small venues. Um, so next Thursday, if you, any of your listeners happen to be in Brooklyn, you can see it at the Singularity and Co. Uh, used uh, sci-fi bookstore um, uh, in Dumbo. It's going to be screening it on September 11th at 7. And then the next day, I'm going to be out at the bookstore in Hawthorne, New Jersey, the well-read uh, bookstore um, uh, screening it for the Northern, I'm going to screw this up, so I apologize in advance, the Northern New Jersey uh, Science Fiction Society uh, or the Science Fiction Society of Northern New Jersey. I, again, Either I apologize. one. Either one. But, um, and those, both of those groups have been very nice about sort of doing, they, they want to do some live kind of events, you know, where they, they have a screening and then a Q&A after, so it seemed like a really good fit. And, uh, you know, and I'm trying to do more sort of screenings like that, like taking it to alternative cinemas and bookstores and um, uh, conventions, you know, and, and getting it to the, the people who I think will appreciate the, it the most. Yeah. The movie is called Bound in Time. It's well worth the time. It's worth the effort. It's, it's a visual delight. The writer, the director, Arthur Vinci. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you for having uh, thank you for having me on. It's it's been an absolute pleasure, Priyana, my darling. Thank you. What's happening in the next couple of weeks? You know, I keep forgetting to pull up the tab. <laughs> but the good news is, is that our site is really fast tonight. Apparently, so on the thirteenth, we're talking to authors. Well, I don't know quite how to pronounce this. Stephen Saville, I'm going to guess, uh, about the newest story bundle. And then on the 20th, legendary author Timothy Zahn joins us to talk about what he's got coming out over the next month or so. Um, and that's all we got. That's all we got so, for the moment. Yeah. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, booksandbiz.com, and comicarthouse.com. Visit comicarthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. Tonight's intro music is provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com. Dome. I want to thank Arthur Vincent for joining us tonight. I also want to thank Sarah Weintraub for joining us. Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. This is a lot and, of fun. And we're gonna we're thank gonna bring you. you back to talk about Galaxy Girls and Lady Nights, your new blog, real soon. That's From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our woman of words, Zombrarian. Thank you very much, ladies. I'm gonna go try to find what's making that buzzing sound. <laughs> <laughs> I can't follow that. Nor should you. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.